ministry coming up starting in February. And, Lord, continue to bless us in our youth pastor search. Now, Lord, forgive us the times we fail you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all stand up and sing with us. We're going to sing victory in Jesus and, and our fearless leaders back there on the soundboard. So we're having to do it. And then Sarah was supposed to sing this morning, and she's sick. And I feel almost as bad as I look. So y'all know I'm feeling kind of rough. <coughs> but anyway, y'all sing with us, and let's worship together.
Amen. Y'all stay standing. We're going to let you help us with open, open eyes and my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. be seated. Thank you for that, praise band. It's good to see you here today. Thank you for your patience as we're working through COVID like everybody else. We do have some notes and uh, one of our deacons will hand those out. If you'll just slip up your hand, if you'd like to take notes during the service, uh, we'll have that opportunity. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15, John chapter 15 this morning. 
we're going to be talking about friendship and be talking about the friendship of God and if, if that's even possible and what Jesus says about being friends, with being a friend of God. You know, you ask yourself this question, how can a person be a friend of God when he is king, right? When he is creator, when he is ruler, how can a person be a friend of God? Does Jesus Christ initiate a friendship? You know, I, I think it's sad because I think adults uh, use the word friend way, way too lightly. Because there is a great difference between a friend and an acquaintance. And so, I mean, have you ever, have you ever walked into your son's or daughter's uh, preschool class after the first day and they go, Mama, Daddy, let me show you my new friend, right? Let me, let me introduce you to my new friend. Well, as a preschool student, they don't understand the difference between a friend and an acquaintance, so all they know is this is my friend. Well, sadly, adults do the same thing. Let me, every person they see, well, let me show you my friend. Let me show you my friend. Well, Jesus kind of lays it out here in John chapter 15 that we can use to judge who is really our friends versus acquaintance or a simple friend. And so, and I think our society and social media has also kind of have given this word friend a bad name. So if you want a friend, all you got to do is go on Facebook, right? And so what you do is, you, you know, and Facebook is good for, we know it's good and it's bad. And we know that it's broke up marriages and relationships because they've, you know, reacquainted with past people. We know there's, there's that negative and we know that it's also been a good help uh, to raise money and to support people. We use it to help people pray we use it for our services to be online and you know um and we we use it we also know that that they always don't agree with what we put out there whatever but so if you want a friend and you're looking for somebody you just start sitting there maybe you have nothing to do and you start typing in names and you're looking up this person and so then then this little icon pops up, you find them and you push friend request or maybe they found you and they put a friend request and, and you know how this works and then all of a sudden their face pops up and you're like, oh, it's kind of like the old, you got mail, you got a friend. And so you're like, oh, I want this friend and so then I, I go and I put add friend and now you're friends. Now, we understand what Facebook is trying to do but I want to tell you this, I think the social media world has trying to tried to ruin what, what friendship really is. Is this really what it is? Is this all it is to be a friend with somebody? I think it's interesting. I, somebody told me the other day that we were talking about um, Facebook and friends, and it wasn't a negative conversation. It was just a conversation saying, you know what the truth is, is probably you know, I would have never talked to them, never con reconnected with them, and, and honestly, it probably would have been okay. You know what I mean? But, but it's... But this is kind of how people use their time. I know there's people here that are like, I don't have it. I'm not wanting it. There's other people that had it and they got off of it because they found themselves, they weren't disciplined enough not to be on it. There's people that are on it constantly. Like you're sitting in, in church, you'll check yours four or five times during this message just to make sure somebody hasn't sent you a friend request or somebody liked you or disliked you or you put a comment and you wanted to see how many times you were liked because you're friends, right? Well, the truth is, is I think we throw this word around. And so let's look at what the difference is. The difference between an, a friend and an acquaintance is something like this. It's an acquaintance in the Webster's Dictionary is a person's knowledge or experience of something or a person one knows slightly but is not really a close friend. So you just know about them. And oftentimes 
we throw the word acquaintance and friend around and we should say this is my acquaintance and I've tried to drill this into my kids heads from the time that they were little and, and even just a couple weeks ago my son was talking and he was like this is my this is my acquaintance and so he was talking just I, I mean I, I know them I know about them and and I know but we are not that close they are my acquaintance and by the way I can get along great with my acquaintances in fact, the truth is, there was a study done uh, several years ago, and it, was, and it was geared towards pastors and deacons and, and church members and stuff like that, and it said this, that you're only going to know about 50 people in your church closely. That's why it's important that everybody plugs into everybody else and figures out what's going on, because I'll be honest, your pastor is going to let you down over and over again if you expect him to be at everybody's beck and call. This not going to happen. And so everybody has to help take care of everybody else because you can only know 50 people intimately. And so the word for, for friend is different. And even in the Webster's Dictionary, it says a person whom one knows intimately and with one who has a bond of mutual affection. There's actually been studies done on this. This guy spent like four years. It's a professor. His name is Jeffrey Hall. And he wrote this journal called the Social and Personal Relationship Journal. And it talks about personalities and different things. And he said this, that in the acquaintanceship stage is from one hour to 50 hours you have to spend with somebody one-on-one -on -one to be considered an acquaintance. So 50 hours with a person. Some of you are like, I don't even like to be around 30 minutes around some people, right? but 50 hours to be considered an acquaintance. But then he said, then after, after three years of interviews, thousands of people, he said, I kind of found a second stage, and it was called a simple friend stage, and it was 50 to 90 hours. And he said, and I, what we learned was, he said, we learned that it moved from acquaintanceship into a simple friend, not ready to share intimate desires, intimate thoughts, and to be with you all the time, but I, it's just a simple friend. And so what was interesting is I kept reading this journal is that he said, but to move to an intimate, personal friendship that Jesus is talking about today is going to require 200 plus hours. 200 plus hours. You know, the sad thing is, is there's people that date and get married and they have not spent even close to 50 hours with each other, much less 200 and oftentimes when they get into this relationship and they have to spend the 200, they realize, I really don't like this person, right? And so the type of relationship that we're talking about today is that Jesus is calling his disciples friends. He's talking to believers here too. And he says, I want to be your what? Friend. And it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require time. If you really think about this, and you put yourself in this place is, do I really want Jesus to be my friend? And if so, am I really ready to put in the time and the hours that's needed for this personal relationship? Because it's not about a prayer. And if anybody ever tells you it's about a prayer that you said when you were seven, they're wrong. It's about a daily walking relationship with him. It is about a repentance. It is about confessing your sins and receiving him and his gift. I'll talk about that. But it is about a personal relationship with him that you have, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever you sit down or whenever you bow your head at the table. It is about a time when you get into the word of God each and every day and you spend time with him and he speaks to you. You're talking to him. It is personal. He's my friend.
And so as we look at this, I want to tell you what this word means. It means in the word friend that we're going to be looking at today in the Greek is phileos. It means somebody who is in the inner circle. It's somebody who is in the inner circle with the king. You see, the king had slaves and servants, and we'll talk about that. And he, they had the slaves and servants, but they, wouldn't, they were not in the inner circle. So if you want to be friends with the king, he said, you're going to be on the know. Not only this, in, in, the, in the Gospels, it uses the word friend, and it's talking about the best man at a wedding. I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in today's society, people don't really have a clue what the best man of the wedding should be doing. They think, oh, hey, you know. I'm the best man. They really do about nothing. So what I usually do is I pull the best man aside and I'll say, can I tell you your responsibility? And they just give me a blank stare. I said, you're responsible for the rings. You're responsible for taking the tucks back. You're responsible for making sure everything is clean. You're responsible. And they're like, what? I thought I'd just get asked and we just buddy around. I said, no, you're responsible for all of these things, because you're the best man at the wedding. You're his friend. You're the one that's taking over in his absence after he leaves to make sure everything is taken care of. They were like, I didn't know I signed up for that. In fact, when I often say this, and it's not part of my message, when I say, give them the rings the night before, the bride usually goes, what? I was like, that's his responsibility to take care of the rings. He brings them. That way, nobody has. And by the way, it's the best man's responsibility to keep the rings all the way to, even for the bridesmaid that's going to have it on her finger or her flower or whatever. They give it to him right for the wedding. It's their responsibility. And all of a sudden, even the best man, I mean, the groom goes, I don't trust him that much. I don't want him to take my rings. You're like, maybe you should have chosen a different best man, right? And so it means best man. It means somebody that is also obedient to one another and willing to serve one another. In fact, the word friend, I'll just give you some, some breakdown here. It's used 35 times in the New Testament in this particular word. 27 out of the 35 times is found in the Gospels alone. So only eight times is found in other parts of the Bible. Great, interesting study, by the way, that I want you to continue to dig into this. But... Something very interesting, 31 times Jesus is the one that says the word. 31 times. You know, he preaches far more on hell than he does on heaven, if that tells us anything right there. But also, if he's using the word 31 times, what is he saying? I want a personal, intimate friendship, relationship with you that's going to require and so what he does he lays out a list in john chapter 15 of what it looks like to be a friend what does it look like on his part and then he turns around in the middle and he changes the language of it and he shows us what it is on our part you see the first thing that we see in john chapter 15 12 and 13 he says this this is my command that you what love one another just as you've loved greater love had no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friend so now he gets into the very first thing that if i'm going to be a personal intimate friend with somebody that he's going to use the word agape love that i've got to get in in, in love one another and here's the thing not even that can a person really be a christian and not love another person 
You see, that's where it really comes down to. Just let's set aside the friendship for a second. Can I be a believer and not love somebody? Can I reject loving them? Well, look at what Romans 5 says. It says the love of God hath been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And the answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. You and I have to love because it is done through the Holy Spirit. And this is the problem with legalism. If you think you have to accomplish something or you have to do something in order to gain the trust of God or the respect of God or the righteousness, if you're basing anything on your righteousness, then you're wrong. Look, everything that's been given to us, every good deed we do comes from Him. There's nothing good inside of us. Our best is as filthy rags. When it comes to us loving somebody properly, it has to be done through the Holy Spirit. How in the world do you think you walk, wake up every morning and you love people around you? Do you do it in your own strength? Mm -mm. You and I have those people around us that it's very difficult to love, do we not? And if it was up to you, you would tell them where to go, and you would tell them how to get there, and you would say, get out of my life forever. But the Holy Spirit keeps wooing you and keeps telling you, this is how I love. Because it's easy to have a love relationship when somebody does good to you, but it is a hard relationship when somebody's evil to you and you do good to them. So for the love for others is an attribute generated not by you, but by the Holy Spirit himself. And so what Jesus is saying here is that I am your friend. And let me show you. Because I gave my life for you some 2,000 years ago. I died and I took all of your sin. And I placed it upon me, a person who knew no sin. I took your complete debt and I placed it upon me so that one day you can be robed in the righteousness of Christ. Not by your own works, which you have done, but by my saving grace. He says, this is how much I love you. So let me ask you this. What does your love relationship look like? You know, we can't just attain it to how many times you come to church a week. or, But I'm going to ask you, do you really love him? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? I think I've told this story before. One of the, one of the neatest illustrations I've ever heard was the pastor that had three services. And, he, and, he, and, he, and there was an orphanage that they were helping, a huge orphanage. And he said, look, they need shoes. And, and, and so people, he said, he, you could hear them pulling out their checkbooks and getting their wallets out. And he was like, no, no, no. They need shoes now. I need your shoes. And people started coming down to the altar, putting their shoes. Brand new, old, whatever. They went to the nursery and got their kids and pulled them out. And they went and put their shoes on the altar. He said, we can all write a check. He said, but give. And Jesus said, look. The love relationship that you have with me is going to cost. He said, but that's what love is. It, we give. Not only this, the second thing, we move on in this first verse 15. I skipped over 14 because I'm going to come back to it. It says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because of all things. I have heard from my father and have made known to you. And so now we move, he says, now 
friends know what divine truth is. Do you have that intimate friend that you're like, hey, can I tell you something? I don't know why I'm getting all choked up. But I love having those people in my life that when I call them and I say, this is personal, I know it's never going to leave their mouth again. Now, how many of those people do you have in your life? They're never going to use it against you. It's never going to be told. In fact, honestly, they put it in and there's zero judgment. They give you the best advice, scriptural advice, and they move on. How many of those people do you have in your life? And what he's saying here in this particular passage, he starts off, he says, I am not calling you a slave. You see, here's the difference. When the king had a slave, they were not considered in the inner circle by no stretch of imagination. They were simply a tool. And this, and this king would never give any desires or ever any inter, uh, interaction with these slaves. They were simply a tool to do what he had to do. But if you were a friend of the king, he would share personal stuff that was going on in his life. And Jesus is saying here, he says, I don't call you slave, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. He said, but I call you friends, because now you know what I am doing. So Jesus is revealing truth to the believers. Look at 1 Corinthians. He said, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even knows the depths of God. Once again, I'm trying to bring out this over and over again. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, you are not a believer, and therefore you will not know how to love. And secondly, you will not know the depths of God. You will not know the inner workings and the understanding. You cannot open up the Word of God and understand the Word of God unless the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you. It is His work. I'm doing everything that I have years of preaching to help us understand it is not about me. It is about him and his finished work. And so when he says this, Paul is simply stating in this 1 Corinthians that the gospel is going to be revealed to us through the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because he wants us to know divine truth. Now, I want to ask you this. Is this where it stops? Once you, once you came to the knowledge of the gospel and that was revealed to you through the Holy Spirit of God and then you stood before him and you had a chance to reject him or receive him and you were like, I understand, I am a sinner, I understand that I am going to hell and God has revealed this to me through his Holy Spirit. Then all of a sudden, I receive this. Is this where the relationship kind of stops? For a lot of people, they think it is. Well, I'm saved. Let me just tell you about my salvation. But let me, tell, me, tell me about your relationship right now. Tell me what he's doing now. Tell me how he's speaking to you now. So see, if he's not speaking to you right now, then there's a problem. Can you call your friend that you have an intimate friend that you can call and say, this is it? Can you say, I only talk to them once in every five years? That's not an intimate friendship. I've got to be intimate. He wants to be intimate with me. He wants to share divine truth. Now, look, let me ask you this. 
when is the last time that God has just revealed truth to you? And now understand what I'm talking about. Don't ever say that I'm talking about he's going to reveal a new prophecy. This is a completed book. All right. There's not to be any addition or taken away from this book. But I'm asking you this. When is it that God has just spoke to you through his word? And you knew truth or you had peace or whatever. There's been times where uh, somebody told me just recently, they were like, man, this verse come up and this was the peace that I needed and God spoke this to me. This was what I needed for my life. There's been times where I have, I have made uh, certain decisions because of devotions in my life and it was no doubt that God was telling me to do this. And I've gone that direction. Why? Because he revealed it to me. He wanted me to know his will. Please don't ever think that God's will is out there and it's a big fog and you're trying to work through the fog and you're trying to find what it is and he's trying to hide it from you. He is your friend. He wants to reveal his will to you. He wants you to know his workings. He wants you to know what your plan is, the plan is for you. This is what he wants because he loves you. So first thing, he loves you. And second of all, he wants you to know divine truth. He wants you to know the inner workings. How many of those people in your life can you call and say, hey, I want to tell you something, but don't say anything. This is what I'm going through right now. You see, James talks about this is sharing your thoughts one with another that you may be healed right so how many of those people in your life there's acquaintances do you have an acquaintance in your life that you can say hey can i just tell you the sin that i'm really battling with right now can i tell you about this sin anybody want to tell their acquaintance that no but you have an intimate personal friend and you sit there and you go look this is where i'm battling right now i need your prayers did you know that that's where it's going to stay and you know that they're going to hold you accountable? You know that they're going to pray for you. You know they're going to come alongside you and help you and lift you up. So let me, let me throw this in. This is not for those who are married. This is those who are young people in here that are dating and seriously thinking about getting married. I think what happens a lot of times in dating relationships is I think that these young people, I think they get real personal. And I'm not talking about a physical aspect or anything. I think they share a lot that's going on in their life. And then when they break up, that person takes that with them. Let me give you some advice. Young people, ready? Is be careful what you share. Until you know that person is the one. I'll never forget that the, the night after I think we, we, my wife and I got engaged that I said, look, here, here it is. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything was like. Pfft. And she came and she kind of did the same thing. And it was kind of like yes or no. Once the ring was on. We can, we can get out of this, but I just want you to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here it is. And for us, it was, drew us closer together. It, it was no doubt about that. But I want to say, don't share everything with the person because they're going to walk away with that. Now, if we go not just with that intimate side, we also go with the physical. You absolutely should not be sharing the physical side of that because when you walk away from that, they're taking that with you too. That's a whole nother sermon. So having that person 
but more importantly, a creator that says, I want to reveal my divine truth to you. I can't tell you how many times that when I finally understood something through the Holy Spirit, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. I mean, what happens to that relationship? You just fall deeper and deeper in love. And then Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In John 15, 19, I chose you out of this world. Look, and then he was like this. He started talking about whom he chooses. Now, I don't know how all this works. And if anybody in here claims to know how this works and how God chooses and doesn't chooses or whatever, I don't know, but I know the scripture teaches it, but I cannot explain it, okay? But I'm going to say this, that Jesus is choosing and look at Ephesians 1.4. He says, just as he chose you when from the foundation of the world. What is it? Because I don't know the sovereignty of God. I don't know the mind of God. None of us do. All I know is this, is that from the foundation of the world, God knew who would be chosen, who would choose him back. We, he knew all of that. Many are called, what, fewer, what? So I don't know. But I know this, that Jesus is the one doing the choosing. Look at what he did with the disciples. He specifically walked to them and chose them. He didn't choose people necessarily of a lot of wealth and a lot of class. Look who he chose. He chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. And, verse, and, and secondly, people cannot choose God anytime they want. This is an often statement that people think. They're sitting there in there and they're like, you know what? I just want to enjoy my life now and I want to party hard and I want to do all these things. And when I get to the point where I'm ready to settle down, then I'll choose God. You know what? There's no promise of that. You cannot choose God just on any time you want. Look at John 6, 65. He says, I have told you no one can come to me unless it's been granted by him by the Father. Unless the Holy Spirit is drawing you and calling you, you just don't say, you know what? I choose him. You can't choose God anytime you want. There's got to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are innate sinners. We don't want God. We reject God. Romans chapter 1. And so until God is calling you, then you step and he chooses you. And then, by the way, Romans chapter 9, Paul does a great example of this. He said, well, who's been chosen? Paul said, I don't really care. He's like, now my responsibility. He said, but I know what my responsibility is. He said, to keep preaching the gospel and those who respond, that's the ones. I don't have to guess. I don't care. I don't know. That's between God. That's what he does. It's right and it's righteous. All I'm going to do is keep preaching the gospel. And whoever comes, that's who's supposed to come. And then we get to number four, the friend of Jesus is going to bear fruit. Look at John 15, 16. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. And now he's saying, how do I know that I'm really, what, a believer? People often say this. Now, look, I'm not judging, but I'm not judging, but they say they're a Christian. I don't, I mean, I know that, you know, I got three fingers pointing back at me and People often turn to the verse, judge not that you be not judged, but they don't understand the whole concept of that passage. You've got to keep reading. But look, truth is, is we are fruit inspectors, are we not? We are fruit inspectors. Listen to what he says here. So the outward action of my life is going to reveal what kind of fruit I have in it. Read all about what he says about fruit. 
in, in the Bibles. He talks about the results, the works, the acts, the deed, the prophets, praises that are presented to God, thanksgiving that are give, given to God. How can you stand in here and never sing? Even people that love hymns, you know what we see? People that love praise and worship, they... Sing. What's wrong? What is it? It's, it's simply a fruit. And it, well, I can't sing. God wants this. This is what he's looking at. What do we learn about in the life of David every Sunday night, Wednesday night? He's not looking on the outward appearance. He's looking on the, the heart. You see, what you reveal comes through your actions in the fruit. And he says, if you're really one of my friends, he said, you're going to bear fruit. Your deeds are going to match up. The Christian fruit will make a lifetime difference. Matthew 7 says this, so then you will know them by their fruit. You will have an effect on people's life forever. Can you think, can you imagine that? That God is choosing us to be used, to have fruit, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they respond to that, we were his mouthpiece and they come to him by a saving grace, saving knowledge, not by their own works, not because we did something. We simply shared the gospel and now we have had a lifetime uh, eternal effect on somebody's life. That is amazing to me. This is the fruit so you know what? You're going to know that somebody's really your friend. The teenagers in here, listen, you know somebody's your friend is that they're going to act like it. Amen? They're going to act like it. You don't know if somebody really loves you or not. They're going to act like it. There's so many loveless marriages, and they're like, well, I love them, but I'm not, I'm not going to do this for them. I'm not going to help them around the house. I'm not going to give to them. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to share intimate knowledge with them. I'm not going to do these things. Guess what? You do not love them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. And then last, John 15, 16, so whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he said, I'll give it. You know what I know to be true is that friends of Christ they had their prayers answered. It's still, it's still amazing that when people call and they go, He answered my prayer. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> that's what he does. He is not a Santa Claus that sits up there and just checks off prayers. Let's look at this. So Christians need to know how to ask in prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Whoever asks in my Father's name, I will give it to them. What does it mean? He says, when you ask in my Father's name, when you ask in my name, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Meaning to this, we're asking it as if Jesus was asking for it. Okay? If this is what Jesus was asking for, this is what we're asking for. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we ask it wrongly. The Bible talks about that. James, Christians get answered when they ask correctly. James 4 says the reason oftentimes people don't get their prayers answered, he says you do, not, you do ask and do not receive because you're asking it with the wrong motive so you consume it of your own lust, meaning I can get what I want. God, please give this to me. God, please give this to me. How many of you have ever asked, and be honest, of your own lust, your own desire. God, if you just give me this new whatever, I'll never ask for anything again. You got to say, would you, when you pray, say, 
Is this what Jesus would pray? Listen to your prayers. Listen to how you pray. Is this what Christ would ask for? See, true prayers are not something that are directed by our fleshly desires, but it's directed by the Holy Spirit. Listen as I read to Romans. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. And then he says, because we are weak in of ourselves. For we do not know how to pray, for as we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself is the intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some of you have been in situations in your life where you have received tragic news and you just hit the floor and you were crying and you were trying to cry out to God. And this is what you hear. Nothing came out. We have all been there. Nothing came out. I wanted it to, but nothing came out. I wanted so much to tell God this and tell God this and to cry out to him and nothing came out. And you know what the Bible says? Don't worry. He heard you. Because the Holy Spirit is doing it. Listen as you pray. Listen to the Spirit's leading. Also pray. Is this, is this what Jesus would be asking for? We often joke about we sit over a greasy cheeseburger and say, God bless this food. God ain't blessing that food. You know, think about what we're praying. We could say, God, I'm thankful for this cheeseburger. I'm thankful that you, you know. Tim Hawkins has that funny thing. He says, I love, every time I ate a French fry, I wish I could pray, God, turn it into a carrot as it goes down my throat, right? But Romans says that we have a Holy Spirit that's going to guide us in our prayers and it's going to intercede for us. Now, if anybody can explain the workings of prayer and how Jesus does that and the Holy Spirit and how he's transferred, you know what, good for you. But there's no human alive because we don't understand all the workings. But I know this, I know this, I know this, that I have seen God answer my prayer over and over and over again in his timing, in his way. As we will see once again tonight, we'll see in David, he finally, after 15 years, God saw to it his plan to be done. It took 15 years. Many of you have seen where you have prayed for something for years, and then God, you know what? God was working all these things out for our good and his glory. But I, I want to go back up one verse. So how do you know that you're God's friend. We understand that he loves us. He wants to understand divine truth and intimate time. We understand that he has chosen us. We understand we need to bear fruit. We understand all these things. But if we go back up to verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. How many of you ever started a friendship and said this? I want to be your friend, but you got to do everything I say. And Jesus says, you want to know if you're really my friend? The, more, the word command here is to enjoin, is the Greek word here. To instruct someone to do something. So what is the command? What is it that he's commanding us to do? What is it that we know that I am his friend? Not to mention the daily things that we are, we're walking and he's leading us by his Holy Spirit. How do I know? And Acts kind of clears this up in just this one verse, I believe. In Acts 13, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. You don't know what your command is. It's to spread this truth all over the world. 
I think you understand this, and I think you, this church has grasped that from the missionaries that we have, from the giving that we give, from sending kids all over the world. We understand this, but it's, it's your personal responsibility. It's our global responsibility. It's to be a light to the Gentiles, to be a light to the people that we work with. Is to, this is our command. And he says, if we're not a light, he says, then we're disobedient to command. And what you got to ask yourself, am I really a friend of God? I think it's pretty amazing that Jesus lays out these five steps of what it means to be a friend. What it means. And what you're going to have to ask yourself, if he's calling you and you're saying he desires his friendship with me, this is what it is. This is what his friendship looks like with me. Wow, now it no longer turns into, I said this prayer when I was seven, now it's personal. Now it's real. Now it's daily. Now I'm walking with him and I'm talking with him and his Holy Spirit's leading me and I have a friend. It's deeper. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Steve Hunt's going to come and after we're done praying. and The song is going to be Have Thine Own Way, and we're going to close out with this song. But I want to spend the time just to thank God right now for that he's desired a friendship with me. But maybe some of you are still debating on if you're going to respond to his calling. I want to tell you that it will be the greatest decision you've ever made eternally. And that you will never make another decision that will impact you, though, like this one. To be a friend of God is not glamour and glory. It's also trials and temptation, and it's tough, too. Ask how many Christians were slaughtered during the Roman times all over the world today that are Pain for their faith. The nature behind this song, It Is Well With My Soul, is the man that was a believer, you know, lost his entire family. And as the boat takes him back over this spot, the words begin to assemble in his mind through the Holy Spirit. And he was a friend of God. I can't imagine losing my entire family in the first place, but also it shows you the peace that passes all understanding. Let us pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you want an intimate, personal relationship with me. You love us. And as a result of the love, we, you want to share divine truth through your Holy Spirit. We bear fruit. God, we understand all of these things. We thank you for choosing us. Now, God, I pray if there's anyone in here that is still yet to receive you. But not just receive you, but also, God, are they having a relationship with you? Is it daily? Are they walking? Do they see how you're answering prayer, how you're moving around them, how you're always working, even through the hard times. God, I pray that you would just make this relationship with them real and they'll understand what it is to be a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Our benediction is, it is well with our soul.
My soul, uh, first and third verses. First and fourth. 